The Messy Middle podcast is hosted on Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, which considerably helps with all of the production costs you normally have, except that on Anchor, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum audience through sponsorships and monthly contributions from your subscribers. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is Alyssa Olenek of Littlest Fitness. And I'm Kate, otherwise known as Coach Carmichael. We are PhD students, endurance athletes who lift, outdoors enthusiasts, and entrepreneurs. We believe the narrative of the fitness and wellness industry is often far too extreme. So forget about the black and white messages that you've heard. On this podcast, we believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. I'm super excited for today's episode because it's the second part of our metabolism episode. So if you missed last week, pause this, go back, listen to last week's episode, which is the first half of this. This is my metabolism episode I collaborated with with Stephanie. She's another PhD student studying nutrition and so we collaborated to talk about from the cellular to the whole body. So make sure you go back, listen to the first episode of this and then come back and finish this one. If you already caught last week's episode, well then buckle up because we're about to continue this metabolism roller coaster ride. We're super excited to have you here and let's get started. So I, again, I said cancer. So obviously like that is a, a huge like health and disease status in which we're thinking about like how metabolism changes. Like cancer is one of those things where like that's a hallmark of cancer is like deregulating cellular energetics. Like it does not make energy the same way a like quote unquote normal cell would make energy. So like, you know, at the cellular level, we're thinking about like, you know, how, how disease and how like for example, cancer can change this process is that you have to think about like how we, how our cells are communicating to, in order to like do all of these metabolic pathways. So, like we talked about at the beginning of this, like all of our cells are like sending these little messages to each other and they're like sending these messages out to like from the tissue to the whole body. And we think about that. And I think like, you know, one important thing I think about with cancer and you can apply this to other diseases too, is like cancer is not just like, you know, just the tumor, just the cancer cell. It's not just that, like it also communicates to the whole body. So like in the case of cancer, like you have this deregulating, like deregulation of cellular energetics where you're having like, you know, cancer cells are very heavily glycolytic. Like they, they like glycolysis. They love to use glucose, but they still use their mitochondria. So even though they're like normal and quote again, normal cell would not use glycolysis as much as a cancer cell does. Mm -hmm. But the reason cancer, or we think the reason that cancer cells do that is because like the, all of the like middle steps of glycolysis can be used to build other things. So we think that like, okay, cancer deregulates it to rely more so on glycolysis so that it can keep growing and building and like doing all of these things, even if it doesn't actually make that much energy from it. Mm -hmm. So like it, this is called the Warburg effect. So it's like named after the guy that discovered it basically, but that like they're, they're relying on this. So even at the cellular level, they're doing this, but like with cancer, you have to think like, even, even I at this point have like looked at how it affects like whole body. Like I haven't done it in a lab, but you have to think about it in terms of like um, this, a, it's like cancer is not just 
the tumor. It's actually like a whole body disease. And so with cancer, like if you have this development of something called cachexia, which is like a entire like change in how your body is doing metabolism. So with cachexia, you have like muscle wasting. It's like all like the muscles in your body start wasting. Like you have adipose tissue wasting where like your adipose tissue is releasing like fatty acids from it, like regardless. And then you also like make glucose through your liver through like it's called gluconeogenesis, making new glucose, mm-hmm. gluconeogenesis. Um, and so like with cancer, like thinking about how that disease can change that metabolic status, even at a whole body level is like all the little signals that cancer is sending can send it out to that whole body level. And then all of that like change in metabolism, like you're, you're releasing all these fatty acids, you're releasing all this protein from your muscles to support the metabolism of the cancer. So like you, you know, you think about how, cancer can do that. Like that can happen in other diseases as well, right? Like you have all of these changes that happen both at the level of like the tissue itself, but also of like the whole body. So even if you think about something like um, type one diabetes or something like that, where there's like a, an actual change in the pancreas, that's changing how that pancreas releases insulin, which is changing how all of the cells of your body are like taking in glucose and like regulating your, your blood sugar and like all of this stuff. So at a, at a disease state, like obviously there's a ton of diseases that I'm not talking about, but it can change that like cellular level, but also like a whole body level also. Yeah. And so I just made the note one, I just learned so much. I actually don't know a lot about cancer at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very interesting. Actually. I like, I was like, I'm learning as I'm podcasting. This is cool. <laughs> um, but I will go too, because I think that's important because you tied it back to the whole body thing. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this a little bit in the beginning about how different hormones and body systems play a role in metabolism. So in the context of health, we also think of when we think about metabolism, we think about metabolic disease or metabolic syndrome, yeah. which mm-hmm. um, to some degree, you know, every disease has some probably dysregulation mm-hmm. of metabolism like cancer does, even though we don't consider it metabolic syndrome, it is a metabolic dysregulation yeah. um, to some degree. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but when we think about health, we always only just think about diabetes, mm-hmm. cardiovascular disease, things like that. And so how is this related to these things and how does these work? So um, I guess like we can break down for you guys. I'll talk about exercise after, because I think Exercise is kind of the reverse of everything I'm going to tell you about right now. But when you're eating in meals, and we talked about earlier being in a post-meal state and having postprandial metabolism, and you're in that state almost all day, mm-hmm. um, and then how that affects health. And I alluded to that a little bit earlier when I was talking about like having poor metabolic flexibility. But say you eat a meal. So you eat a meal, and your body is going to release insulin, which insulin isn't necessarily a bad thing. But mm-hmm. insulin is released by your pancreas because insulin is going to stimulate to your body to uptake this glucose so it can be stored as glycogen in your muscle cells or liver. So you store carbs um, in muscles or liver. That's predominantly where you store it. Or if you have excess glucose after that, it will go around in your bloodstream, but it will most likely be re-metabolized into fatty acids and stored for later. That's all adipose tissue is. It's just extra energy stored in your bodies. Obviously, we know that's more complex than that, um, but mm-hmm. that's essentially all fat is, and it's necessary for health. It does a lot of good things for us. Um, it can become diseased and dysregulated, but for the most part, that's what happens with glucose when you eat. Mm-hmm. Then um, when you also eat, carbohydrate can go through the liver to be stored there, and fructose is kind of goes there first. So that's why I like fruit um, and straight carbs. You see a lot of people will demonize fruit because it says it's, they say it's bad mm-hmm. for you because it's related to fatty acid, fatty liver disease and stuff like that. But 
um, through some process called de novo lipogenesis, which is a fancy way of your body takes the fructose in the carbs and turns it into fat and stores it in your liver as fat. But that's a lot more complex than maybe necessarily like straight fruit killing you and it is highly reliant on caloric intake um, of that. So keeping that in mind. Um, so your body is going to metabolize these things, obviously after it's through your small intestine, large intestine, it's taken up into the body through the small intestine, mostly, um, your pancreas releases insulin, liver is going to process some of your carbohydrate and store it, muscles, and it's going to be stored as glycogen, which is basically Mm -hmm. a fancy way of like, think of starch in your starchy foods. It's like starch in your muscles, in your liver, or it's going to be turned into fat where fats as well. If you're at rest in most of your day, your body's actually going to probably go ahead and upregulate your fat metabolism because if it has enough carbohydrate, it's going to think it's generally kind of safe to burn fat um, or upregulate to burn carbs because they have plenty of it. It just depends on what the meal composition you're having, but your body mostly just wants to protect energy status for the brain. So if it has plenty of carbohydrate available, available, it will burn more carbs. Um, but if it has, if it doesn't have a ton of carbs, maybe in the fasted state, you're going to have higher fat metabolism. But after a meal, especially if it's like a mixed meal or more carby, um, your body's probably going to be like, okay, we have enough of this. We're safe. We're good. We're ready to rock. We have what we need and they'll turn it into fat. Um, and that's what insulin does. Insulin stimulates for your body to take those carbs and move them into things. But then you also have um, triglycerides, which will generally be either metabolized for energy or stored away for later. And your body's in a constant state all day of building and breaking down essentially fat and, and glucose to some degree. But mm-hmm. when we think about fat and weight loss or weight gain or energy status, we can think of it as this fat balance. So like your fat burning versus using during the day is in balance kind of thing. And so while in a post-meal state, you might be more prime to storing lipid. As soon as you're fasted between your meals, again, your body's going to release those triglycerides to burn into energy. So just because carbs from a meal get stored as fat doesn't mean later they're not going to be expended for energy. Again, complex, not straightforward, not linear. And so exercise does the opposite. On the onset of exercise, you're actually not going to have a high insulin response. So you have these little, uh, these little recept, not receptors, um, transporters in your muscle cells that when you move, they're called glute four transporters and they're going to come to the edge of your muscle cell. And you could think of them as like little buckets or little channels that are floating from the middle of your muscle up and they're going to let glucose come into the cell. So this is independent of insulin. So this is non-insulin dependent glucose uptake. And this is a good thing. This is why if you walk after your meals or you're more active during your day, it's actually better for your health because you can contraction stimulates these and it can come up and take your glucose, store it into your cells. um, And your body is going to take during the onset of exercise, the carbohydrate in your blood that's going to release from your liver, from that glycogen in your liver, you're going to have glucagon, the hormone that stimulates this, that's going to break down that in your liver and your liver is going to send into your bloodstream to give glucose and it's going to take glucose from the blood into the muscle and use it for energy metabolism. So it's kind of a reverse of everything that happens when you eat. When you exercise, you kind of have a reverse of those things. You're not going to have insulin. You're going to have things that stimulate breakdown instead of storage. Um, and your body is going to uptake those. You're also going to have things that are going to stimulate the release of fat from your adipose tissues. So adipose tissues will release triglycerides into your body system that will be taken up into your muscles to use for energy metabolism or exercise. So everything that happens in a post-meal period will be essentially, you can think of it as just being reversed so that it's giving energy. Now you have fat and glucose stored in your muscles though, but generally um, having fat there is, is a positive thing when you're athletic and fit. It's a negative thing when you are sedentary. There's two types of fat storage and it's called the uh, 
oh, what is it called? It's the athletes complex or it's, there's, there's a terminology for that where athletes can have fat in their muscle and it isn't imperative of muscle and metabolic health, but in people who are sedentary or overweight, it, it can be. Um, athletes paradox, I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. And so you can use those things for immediate energy production, but overall, you're gonna, your body's going to want to preserve the glycogen stores in the muscle. So you're going to want to take up that glucose from the bloodstream. And this is also a reason why you will uh, want to eat when you're doing long-term exercise, things like that. So your body's just breaking down the supply for energy production. So it's the reverse of that. Now, with exercise, this changes and is dependent on intensity. So resting in your day-to-day life, your body's burning a higher percent of fat. Just if you think of percentage, like 100%, your body's burning a higher percent of fat. In absolute terms, it's not really burning a ton of energy, but the percentage of it is coming more predominantly from fat because it's you have oxygen available. Your body doesn't, it's not really working very hard. But when you do the onset of exercise, your body is going to slowly shift away from fat metabolism to carbohydrate metabolism, depending on the exercise intensity that you have. Of course, what you ate beforehand might dictate your ability to do this. But in general, it's going to slowly, if you're doing an incline, say you're doing just regular cardiovascular activity and you're slowly doing it harder and harder and harder. This is what we do in VO2 max test um, in the lab. You will see people's RQ or their value of carb to fat ratio slowly go closer to 100% fat. There's a point in this that's called the crossover. It's called the crossover concept. George Brooks, my man, 1994, year after I was born. George Brooks is my, he's my, he's my science daddy. That's such a weird thing to say, but he is, I have a whole section in my proposal called George Brooks. That's like, that's the subsection. It's just everything George Brooks did in his entire life. But in 1994, basically all this early exercise science research got to the point where they're like, okay, at some point this crosses over. And what you see is that between about 45 to 65% of your maximal aerobic output, you are going to cross over from using mixed you're going to slowly use less fat to using predominantly carbohydrates. But the point of what you do that is dependent on your training status, which higher training status, particularly aerobic training status, those energy system stuff talks about when you talk about mitochondria and the electron transfer chain, it makes those more efficient. Those systems are more efficient. So you're able to use fat for a longer period of time. This is advantageous, not only because yes, burning fat is good for health. Now, this is not me saying fat blasting hit is necessarily a good thing, but oxidizing fat is good for health. We're releasing fatty acids from our tissues. This is not a bad thing, but it's also good for performance because you're able to rely on fat, which gives you a lot of energy and can also protect you from using through your carb source too quick, too early on. But when we also increase exercise intensity, you're burning more energy. And so if if you go from 25% to 65% of your VO2 max, you're going to burn more energy and your amount of fat is actually going to go up. It's going to be greater than that at rest. This is why the flow energy fat burning zone stuff is kind of BS. Mm -hmm. So you're going to burn a larger, um, it's going to be a lower percent, but it's going to be a larger absolute amount of fat. But then once you cross over that threshold of whatever your your personal crossover is, whether depending on your fitness status, and you get to say 85% max, there's these Romlin studies from the early 90s that did this. They're very beautiful. Um, then that amount of energy goes up, but that amount of fat basically just goes down. It's like, it's just like, all right, we're not using this anymore because it's not efficient for the body to do it. But the pathways that Steph was talking about also get turned off because you have a high surplus and demand of carbohydrate and that inhibits the pathways that oxidize fat. And once it becomes overloaded, it basically turns that off. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's basically what happens during exercise, at least aerobic exercise when you're doing these things, because that's when you're going to use multiple systems. Now, when you're resistance training, you're using phosphocreatine or glucose in that short period of time, but you will use your oxidative systems during the recovery to replenish those because you need to use energy. Like you basically have to use energy to replenish those things. Um, it's, it, it costs ATP to replenish and turn creatine back into phosphocreatine, which is breaks down for energy and prepare to use glucose again or turn lactate back into carbohydrate, things like that. So it's a little bit different. Um, but it's still using energy to resupply that. And that's essentially what happens during exercise. Now, what I'm interested in is exercise metabolic flexibility is basically your body's ability to respond to that stress and handle it and be able to sustain higher fat oxidation during higher intensities longer versus like burning out and dying kind of thing. But this is intricately tied back into fitness status because Think about CrossFit. CrossFit's a really good example of energy system metabolism um, or running might be a more blanketed example that someone with a higher aerobic capacity is going to be able to oxidize fat longer so they're going to be able to not rely on carbs as long and they're not going to be making as much lactate and so they're not going to be as fatigued at the same relative intensity. So they're going to either be able to go longer or faster than someone who has poor aerobic energy system development. Same thing with CrossFit wads. Someone's going to be able to do it faster because they're going to have more capacity because they're going to be able to be able to more, be more oxidative at higher physical outputs kind of thing. So that's those are more sports that use energy systems more so um, than maybe strict strength, but you do use them to some degree. But that's basically what happens when you eat. The inverse happens with exercise. But I'm going to tie this all back in. Your fitness status and your ability to do those things in general also impact those energy systems, which then make you more efficient at doing those things after you eat a meal and affect the cellular level of your body's ability to oxidize, switch, burn, whatever words you want to use, carbs and fats after you eat something. It makes them more efficient and makes them better at storing and sending them around places appropriately, as we talked about earlier, because then if it doesn't get, so it doesn't get backlogged, because when it gets backlogged, that's when all the downstream things like stress in our mitochondria, um, glucose in the bloodstream, elevated triglycerides, and then those being stored inappropriate in places that we don't want them to store or making us insulin resistant or whatever it is because your body has to keep sending more insulin to try to get you to take up more. And that's where those things go stray. So I wanted to kind of paint that in a secular picture and hopefully that made sense to show you how intricately whole body meal metabolism, cellular metabolism, exercise metabolism are all tied in to each other because (laughs) Steph, what's the last thing we're going to talk about today? (laughs) How you can actually quote unquote boost our metabolism through our diets and our lives just I know, the I one want, real question that everyone wants to know the million that. dollar question i didn't mean to talk so much and so long there but i'm very passionate about these things no, um yeah. and the exercise stuff i think is so cool and we never think about metabolism as during exercise ever and then we just worry about what we eat and then we literally don't even think about how like we're unfit because we don't even think about our energy systems because we're just like not eating any food and then like doing stupid things that don't even make sense I don't know. Yeah, I think too, like, I feel like exercise is such a beautiful example of like how you can actually, and I, I, we're getting ready to go into this and like how you mm-hmm. can boost your metabolism, but I think it's just such a good example of like 
you know, how all of these energy systems work together and then how you can like influence that because like your train status, like, you know, you're thinking about like the health even of like your mitochondria and like how many mitochondria you have, like all of that is also tied into like, you know, how you're, how well can you perform and like do exercise and like, do you have like a lot of, of like influence there of like, okay, like if you're training, like you can affect like your metabolism in that way, which again, we're going to get ready to get into. Yeah. So that's a good lead point into that. <laughs> Let's dive into this. There are multiple review studies, research investigations, tons of papers that I can send you. I can give you what we can talk about all day long that directly show that physical activity status is directly related to metabolic flexibility. There's these studies where they put people on bed rest and their metabolic flux goes down. It goes to crap. Um, They detrain them or they take sedentary people and train them. And metabolic flexibility, your ability to do this in a general health, like post-meal or insulin-stimulated state is better when you are more fit. So I feel like everyone wants to do these fat-blasting HIIT workouts or take these magical pills. But Mm -hmm. really, if you just were more fit your metabolism is more efficient and like that's not me telling everyone to go kill themselves over exercise it's not as much exercise as you think i mean the more you do obviously the more fit it's going to be but like you don't need to be the next like crossfit champ to have an efficient or healthy metabolism exercise to any degree improves this even Mm -hmm. in the next day so we just did a study on this we've done studies on this this is shown in there we did a meta-analysis you can look it up pearson and olenic green and jenkins um basically any exercise the next day improves your postprandial metabolism like basically no matter what you do the the quantity and the amount depends intensity can affect that but for the most part everything improves your post meal metabolism even in the immediate moment or the next day so i'm really passionate about that yes <laughs> the messy middle podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year. And after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened. And my favorite part, they're fully transparent in their labeling and they use dosages that are actually backed with the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. <laughs> and it's it's one of the best ways to actually, like, I feel like, boot, you know, quote unquote, yeah. boot metabolism. Like, if you're actually wanting to do something, like, don't, don't come at me with, like, the, like, oh, should I eat five meals a day or three? Or, like, should I, you know, take this, like, metabolism drops? Or, like, should I do this, like, supplement? Do I need an NAD plus supplement or something like that? It's like, yeah. 
we're, we're ignoring like, I feel like the most, the, one of the easiest ways to legitimately boost our metabolism half the time, because we're looking for that quick fix and that like, oh, well, let's just do this. And that, that's what I need to do to boost my metabolism. And it's like, mm, just, if you would just walk or exercise or like add some kind of movement into your day, like that would, that would legitimately help. Like, like <laughs> measurably, tangibly. Yeah. And yeah. I think um, the mitochondria that, that Steph test and I indirectly test, like exercise is like the only way to actually increase. Like, I mean, all of your cells in your body, except for like the few that only use glucose have mitochondria and they are mm-hmm. remade and like, like killed off and remade and all this stuff. But like exercise mitochondria or muscle mitochondria are like the one way in your body. You can literally make more of those. You can make yes. more mitochondria mm-hmm. or you can improve the ones that you have. So think about it, like switching out, like your car's engine for from like a four cylinder to a six cylinder. I don't even know if that's the right analogy. I think I I think I do. Um, But it's like, that's what it's like. It's like giving your body a better engine. So I think about this all the time when people are like, you don't have to do cardio for fat loss. I was like, are you telling people to drive their car without an engine? Cause you're just like, like you just, you hate your body because it makes it more efficient. It makes it easier for your body to use fuel and energy efficiently. It's smarter. Mm -hmm. Now the amount you do does not have to be, you don't have to run an ultra marathon to be healthy. Arguably, you shouldn't run ultra marathons if you want to be healthy. <laughs> or like, like to some degree, probably not. But that's a really great way. And it's tied to aerobic fitness status. Now, yeah. I will also say you don't have to go do incredible amount of aerobic fitness status, but you can do more than you think you can without improving strength, even if you are a strength athlete. And for general health, you should care about this. But also building muscle is also an aspect of this weight training and muscle building is incredibly energy costly. Having more muscle doesn't necessarily mean you burn that many calories per day at rest. It's like very trivial. It's like, what is it? Something like nine grams per pound or something like that. It's, it's not a lot, but where it is a lot is during your workouts. Mm -hmm. So the more muscle you have, the more energy costly it is for your body to move and recover itself. And so, and if you're constantly building new tissue, you're always kind of creating this energy deficit within your body. So it has Mm -hmm. to recover from, and it needs energy to sustain that and support that. And so general aerobic health is good and very important. And this is why you'll see me really poo poo people who are like, no cardio gang. And I'm like, you don't understand science. (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) get out of here. Um, but you also don't need to be She-Hulk, right? You don't need to yeah. also, if like you're like a cardio junkie, you don't need to go build a magic crap ton of muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is going to support all these systems. And in, muscle is just energy costly to build, create, and to maintain. This is why if you stop lifting or you stop eating a lot, your body's going to be like, see a muscle, don't need you, don't want you goodbye because it does it doesn't make sense for it to, to support it you have to like actually like when you're getting more fit you're basically fighting your body's homeostasis in general but with lifting you're kind of doing the same thing you're trying to get your body to to use energy and your body wants to be lazy right yeah. so you're forcing it to use energy to make tissue where it's like i don't want to do this i want to lay on the couch and preserve us kind of thing mm-hmm. so you're like literally like forcing it to expend more energy and then voila suddenly you're eating more food (laughs) like if that's what you actually care about at the end of the day (laughs) yeah exactly i feel like one i want to mention that's i guess kind of goes off that too is like like i feel like people are always like okay well to boost my metabolism i should eat less like i don't know why that's just the automatic assumption of like everyone is like i don't understand that to like my metabolism is slow so i must eat less and eat less and eat less and less and it's just like and i like this is just something that it's like no, like that's counterintuitive, right? And especially if you are someone who has been dieting for like 
ever years. Like if you are somebody who's been in a calorie deficit since you were 16, like you reducing your calories is not doing your metabolism any favors. Like you're, you're not getting anywhere with that. So it's like, you know, that's another way that you can boost your metabolism is thinking about, okay, well, how long have I like been in a calorie deficit? Like, am I, am I constantly doing this? Am I fueling myself properly? Because actually eating enough is going to be something that's going to be like, oh, your body's like, okay, well let's go. Like I got, I got all this energy. Like I can use it to actually like make more energy too. So like, that's something that, you know, I guess kind of related to what you just said, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to be able to eat enough. (laughs) Yeah. It's huge. Good metabolism. Yeah. And this is something that you see with a lot of people where like, if you have clients or people in general and you feed them all of a sudden, they're like, Oh my God, I lost weight or my workouts are so much better. Or like they recomp and you're like, well, you have energy to actually do things with your body now. Like it seems like, well, I'll starve myself and I'll train at this intensity. But if you're not giving your body the food it needs to do that one you're actually plot twist burning less calories during exercise than you probably are intending to not that exercise calories i don't think you should track those and they're not trackable and like that's not the point but mm-hmm. if we want to zing one up on the people who are obsessed with that like <laughs> that literally is inhibiting your body's ability to expend more energy during your workout i like to think of it as work production because work is like the stimulus for what you're trying to do mm-hmm. um rather than calories i mean calories and work can be exchange for the same thing in my head, but I know not for other people, that's not how they think about it, but it allows you to do more work, which allows you to get more fit, which then feeds back into this whole giant system. So basically eat adequately and exercise. Yes. (laughs) Like, honestly, I feel like more people would, would actually be able to quote, boost their metabolism. And and it it really is. And there's a lot of mental jump ropes that I know a lot of people have to go through. And I think that's completely valid. Yeah. Um, but to, like you genuinely really do need more food than you think to support your body. Um, but to support exercise, to allow exercise to be good for you really is energy costly. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. like I, the fitness industry ties in starvation and exercise together. And I'm like, they're literally just selling you bad health. That's yeah. ironic. Cause they're just selling you bad health. Yeah. <laughs> they're actually destroying your metabolism. Sorry. The, the yeah. fitspos are actually hurting your metabolism. Well, I think I'm, un- so a good way to boost your metabolism is to unfollow shitty pages. It literally, <laughs> it literally actually, it actually boosts your metabolism to do that. Um, so w- another one is sleep. We, I'm not going to harp on sleep too much because Kate yeah. is the sleep queen in our podcast world, but there are studies that show when you sleep less, you actually, um, you burn more carbs the next day. You also crave more carbohydrates the next day. You also will lower your RMR the next day. You'll burn less calories. Basically, you just like, it's not good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not, I know that a lot of parents, whenever I talk about sleep, they're like, but I have kids. And like, of course, it's a very short period season of life and you must consider yourself. But I think yeah. there's a little bit of research that does show though that like higher intensity training, of course, appropriately dose can reduce some of those negative impacts mm-hmm. on that, on making your body able to like be more glycolytic and more sensitive to those things. So just, you know, don't neglect exercise. It's a season of life. Don't, don't yell at me. Um, but it does impair a lot of those things and it also impairs muscle recovery. So you can try to, to sleep a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and then protein really is your friend, right? Yeah. <laughs> For many reasons. <laughs> For many reasons, but protein, there's a lot of good research that shows, um, so I'm the human subjects person here. Now, you guys don't know this, but I did a high protein diet study for my first study of my PhD, but I had just had not published it because it wasn't related to my main project. So we just focused on that, but I did it. 
it's it's written up it's somewhere <laughs> um but there's a lot of really good data on high protein diets because they make you more satiated um mm-hmm. there's also some interesting data that shows that um you can overeat calories but have them come from protein and not actually gain like significantly more body fat um to some degree calories are calories but there is some interesting data that shows that mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I don't know if you've ever seen that but it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting That's that like interesting. you can overfeed yeah. protein to certain to a certain degree and i think it has to do with your body just it's so annoying for your body to have to turn protein into like carb yeah. and fat i mean it can and it will i don't want you guys to like go like drink seven protein shakes a day but yeah. it's harder or less favorable for your body but there's a couple studies that do show that but it mm-hmm. is more satiating but a couple someone asked in um the listener question is does any certain foods boost your metabolism and protein actually is more energy costly per gram for your body to metabolize than carbs and fat ironically fat is actually the lowest energy boosting carbs is more so which is funny when we think about like low carb diet pushers kind of thing and fasting um so fasting doesn't boost your metabolism it's also not anabolic you can't build muscle fasted i'm like that doesn't make any sense um But protein is going to be the most energy costly macronutrient, but it's also going to be the most important for developing tissues and stuff like that. So it is really hard to get protein in. I will not neglect that. We can talk about that on another podcast. I also have multiple posts of this on my feed. Mm -hmm. Um, But getting in more protein in your diet can help a lot um, with not only like satiation, which doesn't necessarily have to mean controlling your food intake. That can literally just mean feeling more full between your meals. You're less hangry. Um, You have to stop thinking everything's related to that's like that when I recorded. Yeah, like I didn't want people yeah. to listen to this metabolism podcast and be like, this is how I lose weight. Like, no, protein, like metabolism is important, independent of weight changes. Yeah. Um, but eating more protein can make you feel more satiated between meals. It can also help regulate blood sugar when you eat mixed meals. So you're not going from like hangry crash monster in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also supports a lot of things in our bodies and it's more energy costly to go through. So protein is a good thing in our diet. Um, yes. you're most likely not going to overeat it unless you're a crazy, crazy bro type mm-hmm. person. And most people probably struggle eating enough protein. If you're not tracking your food intake, the chances are that you could probably get away with slowly increasing your protein intake you do each day just a little bit or adding in a shake or a bar or whatever it is that you're doing. Like most people, I would say for the most part under eat this unless you're someone who's just like really into eating meat all the time. Yeah. Um, Shotgunning chicken breasts, as you say. <laughs> Shotgunning chicken breast. I mean, some people really do eat a lot of protein, but like even yeah. I struggle to eat enough protein. Like I will, I will share that with you guys. It's yeah. like, it's an actual, I mean, I, when I track my food, I literally just track protein and carbs and then whatever else is pretty much like whatever my body feels it needs that day. But yeah. like, I literally like, can't like, I won't eat more than hundred grams a day unless I'm like Alyssa. Yeah. yeah. I eat protein. I have to plan my protein. Like be like, okay, yeah. like this much, like I need to get more tonight or like doing a snack or something like that because i'm the same way i i will not like intuitively just be like oh i need more protein no no i would just literally <laughs> eat i wouldn't even i don't even even actually eat that many carbs i would yeah. just eat like freaking fat with minimal carbs and trace amounts of protein like i'm, I'm a polish person i would just eat potatoes with butter i guess like that is my oh, yeah. my ancestral cravings and that would be my diet like 50 percent fat 40% carbs, 10% protein. Classic American. That's like what you people feed mice. That's like a high yeah. fat mouse meal diet. But actually, like we've actually fed mice that basically. That's the composition of that, yeah. isn't it? I swear to God. That's yeah, like what yeah. my body wants to eat. And I'm like, literally, then I feel like crap every time I do go to work out because my body's like burning carbs and I'm trying to only use nothing but Kerrygold butter to make energy out of. 
<laughs> hey, caramel butter is delicious though. Hey, listen, that is the glue holding my my every. I put it. That's how I. That's how I eat. I just put caramel and everything. But yeah. I will get really carried away, and I'll be in the middle of run, and my body will be like, "We're gonna vomit, but also bonk at the same time." Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> like, so anyway, on that note, eat adequate protein. <laughs> so I think that's basically it. I mean, really boosting your metabolism is going to come down to quite literally sleep, probably stress management tied in there because, yeah. you know, hormones and just stress in general can screw with your cravings and what you brought, you think you need versus want mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, being fit and just moving more across your day. You don't mm-hmm. have to be a slave to your fitness tracker. You don't even have to wear one, but just being conscious to like not sit 15 hours straight every day kind of thing take a break take a walk go up the steps play with your dog whatever it is um so the last thing we're going to do to finish off is just answer some listener questions yeah um go through some of these we might skip because we already talked and covered a lot of them but we put everything in here already um so how does age impact metabolism and how can we counter it hmm i feel like that's a i mean that's a great question and so, we, we do, yeah. I know like, you know, again, I'm more the cellular person. So granted, that's okay. it probably has more info on this than me. Um, but thinking about like age impacting metabolism, like we know it does to some extent, but we also know like, you know, you have to think about all the more whole body factors too. It's like, you know, how much are you being active as you get older? Like how much muscle mass do you have as you get older? Like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we can think of it too, like at a more cellular level of like, you know, how well can our cells like re like remake and redo some things so like you know your mitochondria are not like static i i have made like several posts about this like your your mitochondria are not like just like jay chilling like not doing anything mm-hmm. like they're constantly being like made and broken down and it's like this like whole process of like a mitochondrial like biogenesis like you're mm-hmm. you're doing like all these things and we do know that like as we get like older and older like that process may not be as efficient anymore um but i know like there's also you've got to think about like that's kind of, I think, in my mind, like, it's not something that's going to be, like, super, super detrimental to your metabolism at that point. It's like, you know, yes, it does happen, but it's not like, you know, this, you got to think about all the other, like, whole body, like, environmental life things that are happening as you age as well, which, again, Liz, you probably have more on that. No, that's kind of the consensus, I think, from what I've seen in a lot of literature. So, generally, it does show metabolism decreases with age, mm-hmm. but a lot of this has to do with when these, do they do these long long-term studies is most people as they age they're more sedentary they Mm -hmm. lose muscle when they lose muscle they gain adipose they kind of reverse body comp as you age that's a that's a thing with elderly people is they have a lot of fat tissue but like very low muscle but their body weight status kind of stays stagnant um and then they're more sedentary as a whole and they're not because like I mean, think of how many people like graduate college and then just sit at a desk job until they die. Like they're not physically active. Right. And so a lot of, you know, you think when you're surrounded by fit people, you think everyone exercise trains, but at a population level, we really don't. So our data is off general population stuff. So yeah, it's probably going to decrease your body's less efficient. You know what I mean? But you can prevent a lot of the negative impacts of aging generally with just maintaining fitness and muscle Mm -hmm. and muscle mass as a whole. Um, there is some effects of like after menopause, estrogen and like crass and loss of sex hormones um, can negatively impact like your your substrate metabolism. And then that's why women tend to get like uh, diabetes or metabolic uh, diseases and stuff after that. Because um, generally, if you're of like a normal, like a general normal healthy weight status and metabolic state when you are younger and you are premenopausal, estrogen actually negatively or can 
protect you from some of those negative effects. But once you go through menopause, it can make it more of an issue when you store body fat differently and stuff. So those things are real and true with age, with women at least. Um, but generally, as always, exercise and continuing to be active across life is going to prevent or blunt a lot of those negative effects. So it might be lower in your 60s, but you at 60 can have a better metabolism than someone else at 60, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Okay. How does years of binge and restrict eating impact our metabolism and can we fix it? And so I would say this probably ties into a lot. I mean, a lot. I know that Steph doesn't really do specific body recomp type diet mm -hmm. coaching and I don't really do it either, but we're both in satellite to these things. Mm -hmm. um, but generally you will have metabolic adaptation. Your body might be pissed at you for a little bit. Um, but like all things, you probably fix it by just eating enough for a long enough period of time mm -hmm. to um, basically a lot of like the cliche language in the fitness space is to make your body feel safe again, but really just finding a safe homeostasis for your body where it's at, not putting the stress on it of always cutting and restricting and then applying probably the same concepts that we applied here, right? Do you, I don't know. I don't know how to answer this because I feel like this is very person to person. Yeah, yeah. Dependent. I think I feel like we've talked about it a little bit already. So like thinking about like like we've said earlier, like your your metabolism's adaptive, right? Like we're yeah. it's going to adapt. So if you're if you're spending like time like constantly, like especially if you're spending a lot of time restricting and then binging and restricting and like yo-yoing like up and down, like if you're yo-yo dieting to the point where you're like, you know, changing your your body weight composition status like constantly, like to these like massive levels, and that's obviously gonna be very individual. And then also I think I mentioned this earlier, like, you know, if you if you've been dieting since you're 16 and you've been eating like 1200 calories for that whole time like yeah that's going to impact your metabolism and like how long it's going to take to like quote unquote fix that is going to depend on like you know your individual how long you've been doing it like what does all of these other factors that influence metabolism look like like how much do you exercise are you over exercising like yeah how, how do you fix it is more so going to be like pretty individual and like taking the time to reverse diet and think about like okay well how can i like add back in these calories that I know I need that so that my metabolism kind of like goes back up to the level that it should be. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you've been spending so much time like restricting and binging and going back and forth, like it is going to impact your metabolism. So um, I think, yeah, I think that's mainly like what. Yeah. I always encourage people, regardless of what your goals are, I'm not, no, I'm, I'm not someone who thinks any body change goals are good nor bad. Yeah. I think it's neutral and person dependent, but mm -hmm. if you do have any goals, I encourage I think almost all women have are going through or have gone through or to some degree, a lot of them, not all, but a lot restrict to some degree mm -hmm. and just like take a year off dieting. I mean, yeah. like if you genuinely have body composition changes, you can do it. But where would you be in a year of just working on habits and eating and fueling your body and letting it feel fed and safe and working on other things? Because you can always go into a deficit later, but if you continue this restrict cycle or just restricting all the time, you're actually going to get nowhere. And I do think I, I I'm not a hundred percent sure. Cause I haven't really looked at this in a while, but like the Minnesota, the Minnesota starvation study they did during world war II, mm -hmm. where they restricted people of mm -hmm. food. Um, I think they did three different groups of like food refeeding or something like that. And generally when they refed people, their metabolisms did go back up to their energy mm -hmm. expenditures, but it's will your body gain weight when you do that. And I think that's where people fear and they go back right mm -hmm. to that restrict cycle. And sometimes that means 
letting your body gain weight because it needs to, and that's okay. And that looks different on everyone kind of thing. And just knowing that's individual, but you can repair, you're not like going to have like a 500 calorie metabolism for your rest of your life. You probably don't anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so we got asked a lot of questions on thyroid and metabolism, hypo, hyper, and they're definitely, I mean, thyroid definitely plays a role in metabolism. Mm -hmm. Um, and your nutrient intake, like especially carbohydrate intake, um, can play a role on like your thyroid hormone production. Under eating can negatively impact these things. But for the most part, I'm just going to give you guys the caveat that this is just a little bit outside of the specific niche of what Steph and I do. So mm-hmm. it is related to the work that we do and nutrient intake and exercise levels do affect this. Um, mm-hmm. But if you have a hypo or hyper metabolism, that's something that like you should obviously just work with a medical professional for anyway. But under eating in general can downregulate these things. And that is tied to when people, um, when women under eat and over exercise and they down regulate to the point that they like lose their cycle or they have like um like suppressed ovulation or they're losing bone density and stuff like that it can be related to that so it is intricately related thyroid does play a big role in it but for the most part i'm going to say on this one i am not knowledgeable enough to speak on this specifically because that's okay to say same (laughs) i think steph feels the same way yes Um, So we talked about speeding up and slowing down metabolisms. We talked about recovering after a diet upper limit. I mean, to some degree, you're going to have an upper limit of what your body is going to be willing to expend. You're not going to be able to like build your metabolism up with a reverse diet to 5,000 calories a day. Um, And that's going to be individual as, as well. It's probably more Mm -hmm. calories than you think you can consume for the most part. I think a lot of people are shocked by how much food they can actually eat or need. Um, but recovering after a diet, I mean, it depends if you reverse diet, some people reverse diet where they take it really slow for like six, eight, 12 weeks of slowly adding calories. Some Mm -hmm. people say that's stupid. Go back to your new limit so that you can actually support what you're doing and get out of that deficit. There's two different camps on it. Um, Mm -hmm. sometimes people like to slowly add because it is a little more gradual. Um, it kind of just depends on how hard you've been dieting probably, but I would say, you know, if you're, you're spending eight to 12 weeks dieting, you're probably going to spend another three, six, nine, 12 months, not in that deficit. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. Just increase your food intake, make sure you're not still under eating, um, and do the things that we said that to do sleep, stress management, fuel yourself, eat some protein. Yep. <laughs> and then a lot of stuff. How do we define metabolism recovery or recovered metabolism? I mean, is it supporting the lifestyle that you're doing while you're able, while you're, are you eating enough to sustain the lifestyle that you're doing and your body is supporting that? I don't know. How would you define that? Yeah. I, I mean, I would think of this in terms of like, cause I know some people are thinking about this in terms of maybe like, you know, if you've been dieting for so long, like at what point are you going to be like up to where you're supposed to be? Yeah. And like, you know, recover your metabolism. I, I don't, that's going to be again, an individual, you know, like you're, you're, it's not, there's not like a, a point in which we can be like, okay, you're recovered. Like, let, let's go. It's all fine. Like, yeah. You know, there's not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be like a, a threshold of like, you must get to this many calories per day burned. If like, that's what your metabolism is supposed to do. So like now you're yeah. And if you did something where like you were really under eating or something like that or mm-hmm. overtraining or whatever it is, like you can, I would say, don't do it with your online fitness coach, please. Yeah. But like you can yeah. go get blood panels and work with endocrinologists or registered dietitians that are qualified to do this mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And like, you can get blood work. I mean, that's not invalid. Like when I talk about this stuff, I'm like, this stuff isn't invalid, but you can get blood work to see like 
if you have issues with thyroid or like sex mm -hmm. hormones or whatever it is and like see those things are functioning normally and properly, like that might be a sign for you that things are better. Um, mm -hmm. In general, I feel like, I don't know, just from like a personal experience when I feel like my body's functioning really well, is like I'm not stressed, my body weight's pretty stable, I'm not having drastic crashes in sugar, either during the day or between my workouts, um, and my body's like responsive, I guess, mm -hmm. to like fluxes in like what I change and do. And that's usually how I know my body's in a pretty healthy metabolic state. I know that's pretty objective, but like I can tell my body's not in the best state or it's overstressed or like kind of stuff, which is like why like I don't diet when I'm ultra training, right? Like I can tell yeah. that. Um, but I would say like either work with a professional if you think it's something that you want to get blood test for or just like, I feel like when you've been spending years restricting food, you don't know what good feels like until you know what good feels like. Yeah. I don't know. I know yeah. that's not a clear cut answer, but I, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Like when you're well fed. Um, yeah. Debunk basic metabolism myths. Oh man. I feel like we just did that the entire day. Um, yeah. That blasting kit is a scam. Um, <laughs> yes. That's, that's the only one. I, fat blasting kit is a scam. <laughs> Keto doesn't necessarily boost fat metabolism. Fasting doesn't actually, isn't actually anabolic. Um, no. You don't need metabolism drops. You don't need an NADH supplement. Like, you don't need them. <laughs> B vitamins are just coenzymes. They're not actually boosting your metabolism. True. They're not giving you energy or boosting your metabolism. No. They're just coenzymes. And if you eat enough in your diet, for the most part, when it comes to anything micronutrients, if you're eating enough in your diet, then you don't, anything more, you're just yeah. going to pee out. Yep. It's like expensive kind of, pee. It's expensive pee. Um, I don't, I, you know, most of yeah. anything that you've gotten from Fitzbo fitness circle is probably wrong or TikTok. I'm going to say just oh my God. TikTok is just, it's a time. Let me tell you. Oh man. <laughs> I just think there's not like an overall thing, but anytime someone over makes metabolism overcomplicated. Oh, also insulin doesn't cause weight gain. Independent. Oh my God. Yeah. Insulin independent doesn't cause weight gain. Yes. That's the whole thing. Um, but anyway, anyone that overcomplicates uh, metabolism is usually just confusing you because they know you don't know anything about it and they're just yes. trying to take your money. Or if they name drop stuff and like oversimplify it. So I see this a lot. I feel like in like, like the disease state like world where people are like, oh, you know, you, you have AMPK and you have mTOR and like you need to do this one thing and that's going to boost AMPK. And like, so if you don't know, those are a lot of words. AMPK and mTOR are these like master metabolic regulators. Like they are just these enzymes that are just involved in like a ton of stuff. And so people are always like, oh, well, you know, you need to eat this food because that's going to boost AMPK. And it's like, you're oversimplifying it. We don't actually know that. Like you're just making yeah. stuff up and you're name dropping things like AMPK and mTOR because they sound fancy, but you don't actually know what they're doing. So yeah. Or they're related to metabolism. The signs they're using isn't false, yes. but the mechanism of which they're selling you is often yes. oversimplified or false. So an example is like the keto diet does increase fat oxidation, but yep. metabolism is reciprocal. And so then you decrease carb oxidation. So you're not necessarily spending more calories as a whole. Or yep. like if you train fasted in the morning, you'll burn more fat during your exercise. But if you eat carbs later, because your body already burned a bunch of fat, it's just going to go ahead and burn a bunch of carbs later because they're available to it. Yep. So it's not like, it's yes. not cut dry. Like yes. it's, all a bunch of, it's all a crock of bullshit. Um, okay. <laughs> 
Um, how does alcohol impact your metabolism? Alcohol is a toxin. It will inhibit your fat oxidation pathways. Your body will try to get rid of it as fastly as possible. And so mm -hmm. it will metabolize the alcohol instead of fat and it will store fat. And then it will also make you crave a bunch of foods that you probably wouldn't normally eat and you will overeat. And this is why alcohol affects these things. So yeah. I have nothing else sad. That's it. <laughs> simple. It's really simple. It's like this most simple pathway too. I don't know if you've ever had to draw out the alcohol fat pathway but it's literally just like it's like it's like this it's the only one that you'll never have to draw on a test but it's the simplest yeah. of them all it's like four points i'm like yes. oh sweet yep. oh, alcohol <laughs> solid um okay i feel like we get a lot of redundant ones but we left them in here because we love you guys can you really fix your metabolism by eating more and not eating in a deficit yes stop living your life in a deficit yes. a lot of good things happen building tissue is good not being yes. stressed all the time is good deficit is stressful on the body and your body does downregulate. There's other hormones related to hunger and satiety that your body will downregulate that play a role in this. So not being in a deficit all the time can help with this. Leptin is one of the ones that we didn't talk about today that people get obsessed on. It can be downregulated, but this is why we diet for short periods of time and then leave, or we just choose to not diet because it's personal choice is completely acceptable. Yes. Um, thoughts on fasted exercise. Again, it's not magical. You will have mm -hmm. lower performance. You will not have as good as a workout. If that is the only way you can train, that is the most optimal for you, then that is fine, but don't do it because you think it's magical. Do it because of the convenience if that is important to you. Yes. Sorry, I just like keep fly, fighting these off. No. Can you really ruin your metabolism by eating too little? I, again, ruin is like, you know, it's just that word always gets me. People are like, oh, I've ruined my metabolism. Like, you didn't ruin it. It's just like, you know, you've maybe downregulated because you've been eating too little for too long. Like, you didn't you didn't completely mess it up. Like, your mitochondria didn't, like, blow up, and, like, that's the only thing. You have nothing. You have no energy systems anymore. No. Nothing. We don't do metabolism around here. No, absolutely not. No, our body's like, oh, screw this. We're going to die. Okay, well, okay, when you're dead, your metabolism's done. That's basically, yes. there you go. Don't die. That's um, when your metabolism is ruined. <laughs> um, does eating in the morning, does not eating in the morning slow metabolism? Not, so just like not like eating fasting? breakfast? Kind like just not eating breakfast? Yeah. I think you're I probably mean, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, are we thinking just like, you know, if you don't eat breakfast, like, will your metabolism slow down? Like, not necessarily, I guess. I mean, like, a breakfast is like... And, you know, we say it's maybe not the most important meal of the day, but it's valuable. But like, yeah. I think we need to remember that, I mean, your body, like if you don't eat all the time, your body might slow down to conserve energy and you'll yeah. feel tired because they won't want to expend a bunch of energy. So if you're skipping breakfast and you feel like a lethargic piece of crap at work, maybe eat something. Yeah. Um, because that's like, I think that's what people forget is that when you're under eating or you're um, skipping meals, or you're not eating a sufficiently like well macro distributed meals, and you feel lethargic, you're just going to move less. So you're going to be more sedentary. So you're going to expend more. So again, it's not your diet. Well, it's your diet indirectly causing you to expend less energy, yeah. essentially is what's happening. So maybe it like, kind of but probably because you're just going to sit more, or mm -hmm. have that brain foggy dead feeling that you get. So if it, if you feel like that's happening to you, eat some breakfast. If you're someone who just like, I don't really have an appetite in the morning all the time. So like on my rest days, I don't eat breakfast right away. Cause I don't need to, cause I'm not training and like, I don't worry about it, but like, I'm still eating something eventually at some point in time. I don't want to call it fasting and I'm not worried it's going to slow my metabolism. I'm eventually just like, you should probably feed yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> set point theory. This is a target of hot debate. Um, yeah. Hot debate. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's one of those things that I think is, it's, 
they I think settling point is maybe one of the more accepted ones. Yeah. There is Kevin Hall has a really good study on this. So what happens where they get this from? And I think this is what's hard about everything that's fed to us on the internet is that Mm -hmm. metabolism in and I'm going to say this in a way that I'm not asking you to be yelled at, but just from scientific blanketed statements, metabolism in leaner weight individuals is metabol is different than metabolism in people who are overweight or have a lot of adipose tissue. Like it's just, I don't want to say overweight and normal weight, but like adiposity status will impact metabolism. That is absolutely not, not necessarily false. It doesn't mean you can't improve metabolism at any body state, but it's going to be a lot easier for me to lose fat and weight because I have a very hyper like responsive lean metabolism and I know this this is like not a bragging thing this is just something that I know I can maintain a leaner body weight just because of the lifestyle that I live without a lot of effort where Mm -hmm. someone who maybe has higher adipose tissue so actually a really good example of this is Regis I'll use Regis Mm -hmm. Regis has lost 100 pounds Regis Mm -hmm. used to be 100 pounds heavier Regis has to work a lot harder to sustain his weight loss than I do to maintain the weight that I have like my entire life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is when you lose weight like that, you can have, I don't know if you've taken classes on this stuff. I took a whole class on this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, But basically like when you lose weight, you can have things like your leptin and your ghrelin, your hunger and satiety hormones will Mm -hmm. be altered. But if you spend a lot of time of your life at a higher weight status, those things can be not responsive in the way that they normally would be if you had never tried to lose weight at all Mm -hmm. or if you had never gained weight to begin with. That again, doesn't mean that you are a bad person for adipose tissue. This is just the populations that they do these studies in. And -hmm. so what happens is they do lose weight. But this is where like the diets fail statistics come from because people then mm-hmm. they settle back slowly. They will slowly regain over time that weight back. This mm-hmm. is due to both biological resistance to weight loss because your body doesn't like it because it's disrupting homeostasis and environmental factors that make it harder for you mm-hmm. to sustain the caloric deficit that you did because you're either not building habits with it. You don't have an environment that supports it or like it wasn't sustainable mixed in with your body kind of resisting it. So slowly over time, people loosen that. So it's both biological and environmental. And Mm -hmm. that's what I've seen on set point theory too, is that it is, you do have some degree or range of weight that like, I'm not going to be 90 pounds, right? I'm just naturally not going to be 90 pounds. I don't think I've been 90 pounds since I was in like third grade. Right. And I'm even a small woman. Right. But I'm naturally a, broader petite woman. So like I'm going to have a body weight range. It's probably between 120 and 150, right? Like that's probably where I'm going to sit most of my life, but environment affects the genetics that you have that control that. So it's not something that like you have like a specific, I don't know. Does this sound right to you based off what you know too? Like, yeah, I think, you know, especially with set point theory, I think a lot of people are just like, well, my body just naturally hits this kind of thing. But you, like, you can't just say, well, my genetics determine my set point and, like, that's forever and ever I'm in, right? Like, and I know, like, you, we got to, like, just like you said, like, we got to think about how our genetics affect that. Like, you know, I, I personally, like, I know, like, I store adipose tissue where I do because of my genetics because, yeah. like, literally every woman in my family stores adipose tissue the exact same way that I do. So, like, yeah. like this genetic component to it. But, like, you also have to think about the fact it's, like, okay, where do we live? Like, what do we eat? Like, all these foods that are literally made to be hyper-palatable, like, how much do we eat of those? Like, all of these environmental things are going to influence where your, like, natural body weight is going to be, right? And a big thing is that people's set points are being shifted, more or less, 
And yeah. that's where this is messy. So yeah. a good example is there's, I don't know if you've read these studies, but there's these, um, this Indian tribe from like a very non-industrialized island. Is it the Pygmies? I don't know. They've done a lot of metabolism research on these people. Because what happens mm-hmm. is, um, I don't remember exactly. I'd have to look into it. But it's just like very like non-industrialized group of people. And that once they're, I think island or country or whatever it is, I really should look this up, was mm. industrialized or was brought like Western food and culture, they responded by gaining a ton of weight. So they do a lot of metabolism studies on these people to look at if like genetic versus environmental components and stuff like that. Mm. But they were never a, a population that had a lot of adiposity until mm. they were exposed to that environment. So it's really, really tricky. And this is why all these arguments in the internet happen because people are fighting over like environmental and biological things when they're intertwined drastically. And this is why we talk about having a positive supportive environment and things like that impacting these things. But Mm -hmm. it isn't false. Your body will probably settle or set at some body weight, but that is going to be determined by like we talked about earlier, like what your mom ate, what your dad ate before when you were conceived, what your mom ate during her pregnancy, what you ate growing up as a child, like your relationship with food as a child, like your weight status as a child, the food you have available to you, like the, like your ability to cook, your ability to shop, like all these things. And that's like the socioeconomic determinants of health. And that's where this gets messy. And I think a lot of arguments erupt. So I'm not, I don't want people to yell at us for us saying that it's fake. It's not fake, but it's, it's messier than people make it seem it's very complex so on an individual level it might be shiftable but at a broad population level it's hard to shift yes there we go (laughs) sorry we went on a tangent there but i told steph ahead of time i wanted to be extra careful on those topics that are a little more sensitive Mm -hmm. um do certain foods boost metabolism eat a high protein diet and adequate calories boom Exercise. Not, not sauerkraut juice or peppers. Ew, God. I'm from Pittsburgh and I'm Polish and I'm not drinking sauerkraut juice. That's funny oh, they said that about the women in your family. We're all built like mailboxes. That's yeah. like, that we're literally I'm built like a like just that mailbox booty. It's fine. That mailbox booty. It's exactly it. I'm built like a potato. I don't care. But even like it's funny, like I did my decks the other day, and apparently at one point in 2018 I was 15% body fat. I don't remember being that lean, but I was like, I didn't have abs at any point in my life. And I think that's hilarious because people like will do anything to get abs, but like I just store fat in my stomach and I've gotten over it. I don't care anymore. But like, it's funny because years ago I thought that mean I had a bad metabolism and I avoided carbs when I was like 19 years old. And now I'm like that damn Polish, those damn Polish jeans. One, I don't ever know how I got that lean because I don't normally sit that lean, but I was like, what the fuck? I don't remember because I was still a thick little potato. Um, (laughs) anyway, anyway, um, Artificial sweeteners on metabolism. Yeah, the science on this is really inconclusive. It really is. Like, I think I think people are always looking for like this like clear cut answer of like should I or should I not eat artificial sweeteners? And I there's just not there's just not an answer. Like, we don't have a lot of data on it. You know what I mean? But we do have like like the data that we do have. I think people like over extrapolate and they're like, oh my god, like artificial sugars are like toxic and the devil and like all this stuff. And it's like, well, we don't really have any evidence of that either. No, it's really like, the dose makes the poison. We just yeah. did a study on this actually. So we had a couple journal clubs on it. Um, and at least what we saw with it is that like it it can impact metabolism to some degree. I think a lot of people have issues digesting them and it might make yeah. you a little gassy. I know Jesse talks about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably not like damaging your metabolism, but like I think some people have the argument of like, well, you're not actually eating real sugar, so it just makes you crave more 
yeah. real sugar kind of thing. I don't know. Like really at the end of the day, if you like artificial sweeteners, consume them. They're probably not hurting your metabolism. Mm-hmm. And, um, or if you are hesitant or you don't trust them, then just don't consume them. That's yeah. viable too. You're allowed to make that choice for yourself, but try to control the other aspects of your diet before worrying too much about that. I can tell you my entire lab still consumes them. That's just kind of where yeah. we stand at with the data. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's they're yeah, also think- literally in everything we eat, like, yeah. And the other thing too, like us saying like, oh, it's okay to eat artificial sweeteners doesn't mean like go and like literally like pour like pounds of like stevia and like aspartame down your throat. Like we're not, you know, they, it's always like the thing of like you ever say, ever suggest that something's like not bad. And people are like, how dare you suggest that yeah. we ever would like eat this much of something? Like obviously like, you know, thinking about, you know, if you like artificial sweeteners, like you do your thing. Don't drink 17 liters of diet Coke, but if yeah. you swap out a regular Coke for a diet Coke, that actually might be a positive influence on your diet composition. Like yes. it's, it's like, just, you know, yeah. use common sense. Um, what's better for improving metabolism, strength or power or endurance work? I would say whatever builds you muscle and whatever builds your aerobic base. There's a lot of ways to do that. I mean, all three, in my opinion, I think we should, all, we should all do all three, but yeah. you know, unless you're super niched into one thing, I think we should all have an aspect of each in our, in our training. From a mm-hmm. health perspective, I know people probably think that's unrealistic. They're like, list, you're telling us to do too much. But you should probably have some strength or power component and some endurance component. The mm-hmm. amount of which is up to you, yes. right? Um, stress and metabolism. Stress makes you crave carbs and you eat more carbs. Yes. I know you had a post at one point. I do point. have a post on it, yeah. Yeah, like the cortisol cycle, I believe. Yeah. Um, stress does elevate cortisol. Yeah. Cortisol can... In, increase carbohydrate metabolism so then you'll like want to eat more carbs kind of thing um but it's also like not directly correlated but sometimes people some people stress and eat more and they feel hungrier when it's not real hunger it's just stress but it can it can impact carb metabolism so if you feel like you're craving more carbs and you're stressed you're not actually crazy Mm -hmm. um so if that's the case then like eat some more carbs and you'll feel better yeah right Yeah. I think too, with stress, it's like, you have to consider, it's not just like, you know, yes, we have to consider the physiological aspects of stress, like obviously, but like also like what's happening with stress in like your entire life. So are you, are you stressed? And so like you're, you're eating more or are you eating less or are you like stressed? So you're not going to work out because you have other things to do and other things on your mind. Like how is that also then feeding into that? So it's not just like, oh, like I must reduce my stress. So I'll like do all this stuff. Like think about how it's also affecting your life. I feel yes. like it's an important part of it. Because also then when you stress about your diet, it makes everything even worse, right? Yes. That's what they say. That's what the yes. internet tells me. Um, <laughs> and that's not false. I just like to make fun of things that people overstate. Um, does metabolism str- slow with three versus six meals a day? No, but if you are no. highly active, it may be more advantageous to space your protein out and more meals across the day. Yes. That's pretty I, think much I, I think I made a post about this at one point because somebody had asked me this question of like, you know, do I, should I eat smaller meals? Is smaller meals going to like boost my metabolism? And I was like, well, not really. Like it's, you know, it's not necessarily going to be like some magical thing that your body's like, oh, well, we're eating smaller meals today. So we better like, you know, ramp up our metabolism kind of thing. But you also have to think again, thinking of that like macro level of like, okay, if you're eating six meals, are they like the same size of what you would be eating with three meals? And then like, is that less like satisfying because you're eating like a 
200 calorie meal versus like a 400 calorie meal. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Thinking about that. But like you said, like thinking about protein that can be advantageous for you, but like in general, just like splitting your meals up is not necessarily doing it. I also think too, I think this too, from like, I mean, do what works best for you in your life. One eating less meals. If you're a gen pop person does give your body, like people are so obsessed with fasting from a health standpoint. I'm like, well, don't be consuming food 24 seven all day, every day. Like give your body time to digest between meals because like you do go into like a semi fasted state between Mm -hmm. meals where you're like, not in an insulin stimulated state like that everyone freaks out about like digest like other countries like don't eat constantly all day every day you can Mm -hmm. shorten your eating window during the day so you're literally not eating 15 hours straight but also i know personally for me like i think eating six meals is such a chore and i actually literally have to eat i have to eat two lunches like every day and it's literally like my second lunch of my meal like i have like a lunch a middle meal and a dinner but that second meal is the most difficult thing for me to eat in the entire world. But if I don't do it, I undereat. And like, but I can't eat more like in my lunch to make up for it because of my training kind of thing. Cause yeah. like I do like whatever, like how I pair my day and when I eat. Yeah. Um, so like for me, I'm like, it might be actually literally just easier to eat less meals because then you're cooking less and making less and cleaning less. So keep in factor like your whole life where like if you're someone yeah. who generally like doesn't have a big appetite, but eating more allows you to eat enough calories, like that might be advantageous for you. I think like what's important when we ask these things, like I could tell you the science that this is better or worse, but if it doesn't work for you, then like it's useless. Thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode. This might even be two episodes. This is a lot of nitty-gritty science. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I will try my best to link as many things as I can in the caption of this. I feel like we talked about a lot of stuff. A lot of posts I have, a lot of posts Steph has. I dropped some names for references because, you know, I'm a PhD student who just did comps, so I'm, like, super knowledgeable in the stuff now. Super cool. Um, actually not. Um, but anyway, I'll try to drop as many things in the show notes. I know a lot of you guys are interested in learning this stuff more. You can find the post that we specifically referenced and talked about. But um, if you guys did enjoy this episode, please share it. Tag us. Rate. Review. Subscribe. Tell your dog. Tell everyone. We appreciate it. It helps support us so much. And on that note, we want you to live well, demand better, and stay messy. We'll catch you guys next week.